My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. What if your fantasies weren't just in your head or spicy novels or unsexy film screens, but walking around your room as holograms? Are sex robots an awesome invention or risky interference? And how did a thriving young librarian become the first live virtual reality webcam girl and then some? Sex and virtual reality are super hot topics lately for good reason. By 2020, the VR market is estimated to be worth 15 times what it was last year, or $28.3 billion to be exact. Experts have speculated on these awesome benefits from the ability to connect more intimately with a faraway partner, safely engaging in sexy fantasies, and even helping people heal from sexual trauma. I even read a report that said it might be used to help treat sex offenders. On the risk side, some folks are concerned that VR will take over, replacing flesh-on-flesh contact and closeness with a partner. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we're going to explore all of this today with the incomparable Ella Darling, a porn performer, the first VR webcam girl, and co-founder of the world's first VR webcam software. We'll also answer a question from a listener who made a sex video with her boyfriend and now feels kind of self-conscious about how she looks and sounds during sex with the help of our resident expert, Dr. Megan Fleming. If this episode gets you excited, which I hope it does, head over to thepleasurechest.com where you can shop for sex toys, lube, and all kinds of amazing stuff. If you're in LA, Chicago, or New York City, visit their store for an incredibly fun shopping experience. For Girl Boner Extras, sign up for email updates at augustmclaughlin.com. About once a month, you'll get an email from me with fun news, occasional gifts and discounts, chances to weigh in on Girl Boner Radio, and more. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome Ella Darling. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. So I've been reading about your journey, which is so fascinating. Tell us about your experience, what you learned about sex and sexuality growing up. Oh, man, I grew up in Texas. So to sum it up, um, don't, basically. That's kind of what they gave us in school. Uh, My parents were a lot more liberal. My mom was definitely someone who wanted to have more of a dialogue with me, but I was mortified and just not really interested. But she did what she could and, you know, imparted as much knowledge as she could and and safety uh, encouragement. Um, But yeah, growing up, I didn't have a lot of sex education. So when I was younger, I was actually pretty sex negative, uh, I'm sorry to say. Um, And that's been a journey that porn has kind of led me through. It's inspiring that you've come so far. I think that that's something we, a lot of us have to find on our own. Right. And you were working as a librarian, which I realize is a pretty intense career path. It's one that you had studied and gotten into your dream school and were working as a young librarian and suddenly decided to move to LA and pursue porn. Tell us about that decision. Well, I got my master's degree very young. I was 21 when I got my uh, library information science master's. Um, 
And I was only 22 when I became a librarian um, and I was the associate director. So it was kind of my dream job that I figured I could do for the rest of my life. Um, but then I woke up one day and I was like, holy crap, is the rest of my life going to start when I'm 22? And uh, I'd already been modeling for several years since I was 18 and I had just gotten out of a, a pretty controlling relationship. And I decided to try out some more risque kind of modeling. So I saw a, an ad on Craigslist to do really hardcore bondage, but it was fully clothed. So it was kind of like a way to, to dip my toes. I'd never done even lingerie modeling at that point. And I thought I was going to be scared. I thought it was going to be really uncomfortable. But the person I worked with was so awesome. From the moment I walked through the door, I made sure that I understood my boundaries, made sure that I understood my safe words, made sure that I knew that I could kind of guide the scene according to my comfort zone. And it was just so different from anything I'd seen before that I started pursuing that. And then eventually I decided, if I'm going to do this, I should move to L.A. Where, where porn lives and just dive into it. And at a certain point, you realized that you wanted to create porn. And I know that had somewhat to do with longevity because a lot of porn performers, you know, might be a few years similar to modeling where that kind of, quote, time to, you know, find something else comes sooner than other careers. It's true. Um and that's something that I think has become, uh, like the average career length has become a lot shorter for porn performers over the years because um, there's fewer companies shooting and there's fewer opportunities. And so if you're a new performer, you get in and you shoot and you make a lot of money, um, but then you're kind of shot out. Like all the companies that can shoot you have the content they need for a while. So it's very feast or famine. And if you're not prepared for that, um, it's easy to fall out of it. Um, and so you need to find some, something to fill the dead time, like uh, camming or producing content or starting a website or, or feature dance. Or, or something. Um, and so I wanted to start producing like really beautiful cinematic lesbian porn um, like several years ago. And I was taking some steps down that path when I discovered VR. And once you did, you saw this ad on Reddit. It did something very brave, I think, for anyone, no matter what your career path. You basically flew across the country to meet somebody. Tell us what that experience was like. Well, it was definitely risky, um, but my my best friend was in school in D.C., so I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll fly out there. They're covering my airfare. If nothing else, I get a free trip to see my friend. I'll go meet up with them. I'll shoot the scene. They seem nice enough. Whatever. Uh, turned out this was a 20-year-old young man, and we shot my first porn scene in his dorm room. Um, there was a... a plate, a commemorative plate of Lieutenant Commander Data on the wall, which is now in my house, um, a periodic table of elements. It very much looked like a young man's dorm bedroom. Um, <laughs> and it was awesome. It was super good. That's amazing. That's amazing. So virtual reality for somebody who is completely novice, such as myself, I've never actually tried it. So could you explain how that works with porn? So you're wearing these, I don't know, you call them glasses. Um, headset, but glasses works. Okay. And then... Do you choose a scene? How does how does it actually work from the user's standpoint? So it depends on what kind of stuff you're watching and what platform you're using. Uh, for my content, what I do right now is Cam4 VR. It's a live webcam platform. So you would open our application, and you're in this beautiful like lobby area, and there will be a menu in front of you of the different performers who are online, and you select who you want to watch, and then. Uh, a scene loads around you, and it's a 3D, 360 image of their bedroom, and then a live video loads on top of that. So it's very transportative. Um, as soon as you put on the headset, you feel like you're in a different place, and it just makes you feel incredibly immersed and really connected to the, the things going on around you. Wow. So as a performer, how different is that for you? 
it's a lot different. So my first porn scene that I did, I didn't know what I was doing and they they knew what they were doing on their end, but they didn't know how to direct me and they couldn't be in the room with me because the camera was 180 degrees mounted on a wall. So uh, if my the person who was not my business partner, if he was in the room, he'd be caught on camera and that would be very awkward. Um, so I just kind of went for it. I acted like it was a cam show. I talked to the camera like it was someone I wanted to seduce and I went with it. So for me, it was a little bit tough and confusing at first. For a lot of adult performers who were doing traditional like pre-captured porn, um, it can be a lot harder because the person whose body is like the viewer's avatar has to deal with a very heavy camera rig. Um, and the other performers have to sort of really guide themselves around the camera in a way that you might not be used to. But when it comes to camming, I love it. It's so much different from regular camming for me. Um, I can get really tired doing just a regular cam show. Um, I sometimes feel like I'm just a girl in a box because I see that there are viewers in my room, but they're not talking to me and they're not interacting. And it's like, why are we here right now? But with VR, I know that they're not on their phone. They're not checking their email. They're not working. They're not multitasking. If that headset is on their head, I dominate their attention. Everywhere they look, even if they're not looking at me, they're looking at some aspect of my room, which I've designed to cater to their attention, uh, to communicate an aspect of my persona. And that's really powerful. So can you, you can't see them or can you? I cannot see them, but pretty soon I'll be able to hear them if we go into a private chat and they consent to it. We'll be able to speak voice to voice with very, very low latency. Wow, that is so fascinating. So for the user who's experiencing this, I imagine it depends a lot on kind of how your imagination works. I know, you know, when I am a writer, so when I write about certain like if I write about a stomach ache, sometimes I feel a stomach ache. Like I feel like sometimes if you're really empathetic, you might actually feel the person physically. Do you hear that from people? What is that experience like? I do demos at conventions and conferences. And without fail, every time when people put the headset on, well, not every time, but every time I do a set of demos, there will be a few people who are just uh, just so into it. And they reach their hands out in front of them like they're actually trying to like slap an ass or like touch the person. That That's how immersed they feel. They honestly, like their brain tells them, you can reach out and touch this this person in front of you. Mm, that's really interesting. It, it really does speak to how, like you said, submersive is the great word for it. Yeah. And as I mentioned, some people are concerned about VR and sex robots, which I read an interview you did with, I think, the New York Post about sex robots, which is another thing I realized. That was a terrible article. They totally totally misquoted me a oh, lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So we'll scratch we'll, anything from that. Oh, we can talk about it, though. I'd love, I'd to, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so with sex robots, um, I think it's very easy to fall into your initial reaction of like, oh, weird and why and what are these people doing? But for some people, this fills a spot. It fills a void in their life that they're not going to be able to fill with another kind of relationship. And I feel the same for adult VR content. Um, there's always going to be people and perhaps the majority of people who think, oh, well, why would I do that? I can just go out and meet a real person and, and why would I bother with all of that weird stuff? But it's not weird to these people because for many people, they don't have access to regular relationships. They don't connect with people. Maybe they have a history of trauma that prevents them from connecting with other people or they have mobility issues or their work life dominates their social opportunities or any number of things. So for those people, this could fill a void for them that would otherwise have physiological effects on their on their being. I love that you brought that up because I do think there's so much opportunity that people might not see if they have certain types of privilege. Mm -hmm. Like if you're somebody who is pretty much usually in a relationship and can move around fine and don't have maybe what might be considered a quote odd fetish mm -hmm. that maybe 
your partner doesn't like, you know, there, it opens up all these opportunities I see for all access. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and I think that's really good. I think it's good to give people an opportunity to explore their own interests in a way that is comfortable for them, um, especially with, with a fetish. You know, um, if someone is in a relationship and their partner is utterly uninterested in, let's say, like a foot fetish, this gives them an opportunity to explore that without leaving the bounds of their relationship or engaging with another person. Um, and obviously, relationship boundaries are completely up to the people in that relationship. Yeah. But when you think of conventional uh, ideas of cheating, it means like, you know, engaging sexually or very emotionally with another person outside of the relationship. And if that isn't happening, if it's just a video or, you know, a, a virtual experience, it can create a bit of a safer way to engage. Yeah, yeah. I almost see it like a, another type of sex toy, only much more of an experience. So, for example, I tried the Motor Bunny, which is kind of like the Sibian. I don't know if you've Ooh, tried yeah. those. So they're the rideable sex toys, mm -hmm. and it's an amazing experience. You, there are all these different attachments. Uh, the ones that I have look a lot like different penises, and they do different tricks and different vibrations and all this stuff. And it's a really fun thing to try, and it's a fun thing to use. And, and I think it's, they're cool products. And I think that they're built in a way where you get clitoral stim, you can you know learn about your body and your pleasure, and you can get off very quickly if you want to and all that. To me, it would never replace a relationship. You know what I mean? Like it actually made me miss my partner more. It made me want to be with my partner and get satisfied at the same time. Absolutely. I think it's supplementary, you know, just like so many other things that we engage in. For a while, people talked about Facebook as though nobody's going to have real relationships anymore, real friendships. When in reality, I think for most people, it supplements friendships and it allows you to perhaps get closer together or find people that you can connect with in a different way. All of this technology that people's gut reaction is to, to, turn down or, or, you know, negate. Uh, I think it's just supplementary. And I think we need to give people the opportunity to try it and find how it fits into their lives. I agree. Yeah. I think it is really easy because it's so new and people might feel a little shocked. And it's like when you really look at it and, and trying not to judge other people's experiences because you don't have to use it. You know, if you don't like it, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's not going to come into your house and take take away your relationship or anything like that. Right. And I think it can be easy to feel intimidated and frightened, too, when you haven't had a lot of sex-positive culture and you haven't had the comprehensive education that most of us did never had. Right. You know, so I think that's really important. One thing I'm, I'm curious about is the diversity that you see or don't see in in VR porn and, and in camming because I know that uh, like the one sex robot they have on Amazon that I, I searched for because I read that there was one, it looks to me like a very young girl, almost like a teenager, maybe like a doll more with mm -hmm. makeup on with tiny, tiny waist and these huge boobs. And it was just more kind of like stereotypical Barbie kind of thing. Right. Uh, and I was thinking it would be really cool to see a lot more diversity in age and shape and race and all that. I absolutely agree. That's one of the things I really love about working with Cam4. So we license, my business partner and I license our VR Cam technology to a company called Cam4. It's a Cam site and um, it's incredibly inclusive. Uh, some Cam sites you'll go and it's basically um, a lot of the same kinds of body types, a lot of the same kinds of, of conventional attractive presentations. But on Cam4, it's it's sort of a place for everybody. Um, and it's incredibly inclusive in terms of body types and age and 
whatever you want to do as long as it's legal and within a certain you know boundary of of terms of service you're welcome there and that's something that i think is very important that's why um for the work that i do i've never included uh, an avatar like a body where you look down and you think that that's your body because until i can make that entirely customizable to reflect gender identities and racial identities and body types and sizes and just every kind of of diverse physical presentation of of humanity, I don't want to make something that makes people feel excluded because if you're not the most conventional physical person, um, there's already so much media that tells you every day that this isn't for you. We're not representing you. This product isn't really geared towards you. And I don't want to, I don't want to further that. Thank you for doing that. I have chills because I'm like, I'm so glad that you are doing so well and you're so prolific because we need that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it does actually make a nice segue to our listener question because she's actually feeling pretty self-conscious about her body, probably because of some of that messaging that we hear, right? So we're going to hear from Dr. Megan and then we can chat about it as well. This question came from Rita who asked this, my boyfriend and I made a sexy video of ourselves a few months back and I noticed that my face looks really weird and I sound really weird when I orgasm. Ever since seeing the video, I find myself holding back when we have sex. I get self-conscious and can't relax or enjoy. I've tried dimming the lights but that doesn't seem like a permanent fix. Any suggestions? Thank you, Rita, for this question. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Rita, thanks so much for your question. And I must say, it sort of breaks my heart that, uh, you know, on the the fun and fantastic side, I'm glad you both really enjoyed the experience of sort of letting go and making sex a video. Um, But the part that breaks my heart is the fact that somewhere along the line, you're judging yourself and somehow feeling... Uh, you know, the judgment is feeling that your face looks weird or that you sound weird, um, especially when you orgasm. Because again, orgasm is about letting go. And, you know, it's interesting. Whoever said letting go is supposed to look any particular way. In fact, I think for a lot of women that I work with who haven't yet had an orgasm, you know, one of the challenges is that they are um, sort of subconscious and they imagine uh, and sort of catastrophize in their own minds, like what would that look like or how might they sound? And they're observing and spectating and judging all is very inhibiting, right? It all gets in the way of their ability to let go and just to feel the sensations and the pleasure, which clearly you were. And so, you know, I'm wondering how to help you uh, you know, sort of take a big step back and maybe just sort of sit with a sense of, you know, the why, why do you imagine it was supposed to look a certain way? And, you know, maybe your face or your sounds look different than, uh, you may have heard in, on porn or in maybe any kind of, um, Hollywood description of, you know, people experiencing pleasure because, you know, what I can say is, you know, what it looked like and felt like in that moment. And now that you're, in a sense, wishing or wanting it to look better or different, you're you're now not able to let go and have that pleasure and that experience. And so not only are you not getting as turned on and cutting yourself off from that pleasure and that possibility, but also your partner. Because I can imagine, you know, I see this all the time that, you know, our partners look at us, we often have what I call that harsh inner critic. Um, and we can be so observant of, you know, a blemish on our face or, uh, you know, an extra two pounds, five pounds, 10 or 20 pounds. The point is that, you know, our partners often do not in any way see us in the way that we see ourselves. And to the extent that we don't see our true inner innate beauty, 
we are getting in the way, right, of what's possible in terms of our own pleasure and experience. And so, you know, I would just have you take a big step back and realize that, you know, what you focus on expands and what we resist persists. And so right now you're focusing on what you don't want to have and the resistance is in the same thing. And so, you know, take that big, deep, big, deep breath and realize again, the foundation of arousal is relaxation. And understandably, if you're all caught up in your head, no wonder you're self-conscious and can't relax. And as I sort of say, game over, right? It's like, you know, I often have people think about uh, if your thoughts were in a sense in a dialogue box, box above your head, like a, like a, in a cartoon, you know, really reflect upon what are you thinking? What are you saying to yourself? And is it sexy? Cause it definitely sounds like, unfortunately, because of this evaluation that you've made of yourself, you have now, uh, you know, blocked yourself and got in the way of your focusing on being in the moment and in the sensation and in the connection uh, with your partner. And so that's what I would say is redirect your attention. These are what we call intrusive thoughts. It's not that you want them to come. They just come, right? And so it's not, please don't have that thought because the more you don't want to have it, the more, again, the resistance is going to persist. So it's more like, oh, except the thought comes. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, there's a poem about like the uninvited guest or visitor. It's like, thanks, but no thanks. And then redirect your attention, right? To, it could be your partner's eyes. It could be his breath. It could be the sensations in your body. Uh, but really redirect your attention to something that is in the moment and feels good and feels like it's building. And just lose yourself in the present moment because that is where the pleasure is. And Listen, you know, nobody's looking at you in the way that you're looking at yourself. And to be honest, I'm willing to bet if we actually asked a number of people, I think a number of them probably say that's hot. Like, I mean, from my perspective, hearing arousal and orgasm and just arousal in general is, is really one of the biggest turn-ons. And so, um, you know, allow yourself to get out of your own way and redirect your attention to being in the moment, what feels good, what feels great, and get back to the pleasure that you already know. And as I always say, can't wait to hear echoes. Certainly, please definitely follow up. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. Everybody, you can learn more about her work at greatlifegreatsex.com. I loved what she had to say about those intrusive thoughts because that's something that I've been learning more about recently where you don't judge the thought. You go, oh, there's a thought. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And because I think we can beat ourselves up over the shame, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I loved that. That was really, really good advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the um, point she made, too, about the, you know, other people are probably not thinking this. Mm-hmm. And probably, you know, they wouldn't have made the tape if they both weren't experiencing pleasurable sex already. And so mm-hmm. probably your partner is loving the sounds that you make. And I think, you know, like what is a quote right or best face or sound during sex? There is There any. is no such thing. Yeah. So I want to say... I feel the same way every time I watch my own porn, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to acknowledge that you have feelings of self-consciousness, but it's also important to understand that your perspective is not the universal perspective. Like, think about it for a second. Does your partner look like a super, like, perfect Adonis model, like a perfect statue? Is Are the noises your partners make exactly what, I don't know, it, there is no right, but, but do you have these thoughts about your partner when you're having sex with them? Almost certainly not. Um, and so you have to understand your partner is not thinking about you when you're having sex in a way that's like, oh, her face is weird. She's making weird noises. 
they're having sex with you because they're super attracted to you and they think you're super hot. So the way that you see yourself is not the way your partner sees you. Um, and it's important to keep that in mind. Um, also, there's this quote by Aaron McKean. You don't owe prettiness to anyone, not your boyfriend, spouse, partner, uh, not your coworkers, not to random men on the street. Um, prettiness is not a rent you pay for occupying a space marked female. You do not have to be pretty and and perfect, whatever that means to you, every moment of every day and everything you do. You don't think, oh, do I look pretty enough to be eating right now? No, you're feeding your body. Do I look pretty enough to be driving my car right now? No, you're focusing on the road. You're doing the task at hand. Prettiness is not your job and it's not something you owe to the world. So if you don't think you look pretty right now, that's okay. It's not your responsibility to present yourself as this most beautiful, like, enjoy sex, have fun, make weird faces. That's what sex is. It's about having fun and enjoying yourself, not about looking perfect every second of the day. Yeah. Just let the pleasure take over because you won't even be able to think about that once you really surrender to it. You reminded me of those videos and they'll have photos, articles about, you know, what girls do in their real lives, you know, where they have just images of a girl slouching, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a a girl, you know, just looking uncomfortable, not smiling. Oh, heaven forbid. Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, I think also it can be really empowering to get a little angry at those societal messages. Yeah. Like, F you. I'm going to love my face that looks awkward to me right now. Yeah. We should get pissed. We shouldn't get ashamed and we shouldn't get embarrassed and we shouldn't feel bad about ourselves. We should be angry that we've been fed these thoughts that we somehow owe the world this picture perfect idea of what others think we should be. Nobody imposes that onto men the same way they do to women. That's nonsense. Yeah. And you know what? There is a beauty in your orgasm and you should allow yourself to find it. Absolutely. So well said. So well said. There's a photo gallery of women's faces during orgasm before, during, Mm -hmm. and after. And I love it because you see this variety and that is so beautiful. Like whatever's unique about you is probably also what your partner loves. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? If your partner shares your views that you look weird or you're making weird noises, you're not the problem your partner is. But I doubt that's the case. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. How else has working in porn affected how you feel about yourself? Um, Well, it's made me a lot more open to my own sexuality and exploring the things that I'm into. It's encouraged me to have a more open-minded and more exploratory Uh, take on my personal relationships. It's also made me love my body more. Um, I, before I started doing porn, I had done runway, I'd done uh, fashion modeling, I'd done art modeling, I'd done all kinds of stuff. And there was a point where I was kind of living on like avocado and tomato slices and vodka. And that was it because I had such a negative body image that I was killing myself. And when I started doing porn, especially camming, I realized that no matter what you look like, you are someone's ideal type. You're always somebody's fetish. And even if you're not what you think is like the perfect ideal, you are someone's perfect ideal. Not that it matters because other people's perception of you doesn't define you, but it did help me love my body more and gain a more uh, a healthier outlook on my own life and my my body and the way that I live. Um, and I was just looking at photos yesterday of me back in like 2009 when I first transitioned into porn. And I was so like unhealthily skinny And like there was this hollowness in my eyes and I could see sort of an unhappiness as I transitioned into this thing that eventually brought me a lot of joy. And I love myself. I have so much more confidence now. Um, I don't take shit from idiots because why would I? And I shouldn't have in the first place, but it's given me that. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. And I love that you're paying it forward so much. You talk a lot in your TEDx talk that I really enjoyed about risk-taking and starting over again. Could you share a bit about what you gain from that and kind of what's the biggest risk that you've taken? I would say a big risk was moving out to LA to do porn. I mean, that's a huge leap that immediately closes a lot of doors. Um, If you're thinking about doing porn or doing sex work, I very strongly encourage you to think very, very deeply about how it will impact what you want to do in the future because it's been great for me, but it's not great for everybody. And it can limit what you can do afterwards, um, especially if your time in the sex industry is very public and very short-lived. So it's been... It was really hard. I was a librarian. I worked with teenagers. I'm probably not going to work with youth in a library again, though for a while I thought I couldn't be a librarian again, and uh, a bunch of librarians informed me that I was incorrect, which was really cool. <laughs> I love librarians. That's awesome. Everyone Amazing. I've ever met, they're awesome. Yeah, They're fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was a huge risk, and it could have ended very badly, and I could have just you know, really gone nowhere with it and and lost a lot of potential opportunity. So that was huge, and it obviously paid off. Uh, but again, I would never encourage someone to just dive into it, um, really, really think hard about it and talk to people. Do you fe- foresee yourself taking more risks where you start fresh again? That was a big theme in your message and your journey. Mm-hmm. Or is that something that you just kind of have to see how it how it goes? Well, I do see myself transitioning out of the adult space altogether and working more in the tech space. So already I've really, um, I haven't retired from porn. I'll still occasionally do scenes. I'll do things here and there. But um, for the most part, I stopped just shooting as my primary work. Um, and I see myself transitioning out of porn altogether and really focusing like in a new tech VR space um, that's sort of removed from the adult aspect of what we do. And that's going to be not quite as much starting over. I don't think I could ever start over as much as I did in porn because I literally created a new identity. Ella Darling was born in 2009. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but still, like, it'll be it'll be a big transition when it happens. Yeah, yeah, that's really amazing. For anybody who's brand new to virtual reality, to webcamming, any beginner's tips for someone who just wants to kind of, with a partner by themselves, what should they do? Well, first, make sure that you have um, the proper equipment. So you can have anything. Um, you could use a, a Samsung Galaxy phone with you know, Google Cardboard, but I recommend investing in even a slightly better headset. Even something in the $20 to $30 range is going to be better um, because it's going to be a better experience for you. And really look at the reviews on content. Porn is incredibly pr- prolific, which is great. Um, But at the same time, because VR is so new, there's not a best practices laid out yet. So some companies are making VR porn that isn't shot very well. It makes people dizzy. They just don't know how to do the post-production in a way that is really effective for the viewers. So look for some of the top-rated porn sites or check out Cam4VR if you like live stuff. Not for everyone, and I understand that. But look for something that's high quality because that's going to really impact your experience. Do you see a connection between high-quality porn and ethical treatment of the performers and also performers who are paid well or paid at all? Um, Honestly, I don't think the quality really, really indicates much about the ethical treatment of performers. I think for the most part, porn performers are treated very ethically. And when they're not, when those companies are identified, we have have a trade organization called the Free Speech Coalition that um, will really they they work with production and if they identify a production studio or, or producer that isn't treating performers well they will absolutely contact them and, and handle it so there's this idea that porn performers are victims or that we're somehow forced to be in this or that we're, we're sex slaves or and it's just not the case um 
there are so many people who want to do porn and so many people already in porn vying for scenes that like we're a huge community. We look out for each other. And if a porn performer comes forth and says, oh, my gosh, this company really, really screwed me over. People listen. There are entire organizations. I mean, perhaps perhaps to a fault. Like, I don't feel like I can go on Twitter and talk about having a bad day on set. Like, oh, man, you know, I didn't really like my scene partner. I didn't like the food. Um, I kind of felt crappy today. Like, these are things that anybody in any job might have to say. But if I say that stuff, there's an entire organization, multiple, that exists to rescue me from my job. I'm not allowed to have a bad day. So if I if there are multiple performers who have complaints about a company, it is identified and it is followed up on. Um, and it happens sometimes and they go to court and they usually win. Like people, especially porn performers, look out for each other. I used to be on the board of directors for the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee, which is was started by performers. It's all performers. We exist for performers. And um, we have organizations like that that really look out for each other. I actually saw recently the power of that on Twitter. There was a company making or not making, providing porn and not paying anyone Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the performers rose up and said, I'm in that video. I never got paid. Yes. So I've seen that happen. There was um, there was someone who started a website that was like porn for like ethical porn for women. That's the one. Um, but basically, she was stealing content. She she was stealing content that other people had made, that performers had made for their own sites or their clip stores or to be distributed on other platforms with whom they had a distribution deal, and she was just stealing it. And it's not uncommon. So in terms of people not being paid in porn, like when you are on set, you're being paid. But that content often gets stolen and distributed on tube sites, on torrent sites. And this was an example of that where I don't know how she thought this was a good idea, but she basically just collected a bunch of like feminist porn and porn made by performers and tried to distribute it under some free subscription base, which got shut down within like a day. So the tube sites, when everything is stolen or a lot of it is stolen, that's where there becomes a problem. So it's important as a user to ideally pay for porn. Pay for your porn. Yeah. Like pay for a subscription to a site you like, pay for... um, individual clips from from clip stores or websites from performers you admire. It's, you know, I know that we live in this time where we find it audacious to pay for porn, but this is how this content exists. You can't find free ethical porn online because by not paying for it, you are subverting the ethics. So just pay for your content. Even, I'm not a fan of Pornhub, but they at least have some kind of deal with some of the production studios and you as a performer can set up a, an account there and sell your content and and. I don't know, I'm not, again, I'm not a big fan, but there are some tube sites that don't even offer that. They just have an opportunity for people to upload content. And then a performer has to send a cease and desist letter for every single piece that's that's uploaded. And sure, they'll take it down, but they don't have the resources. An individual performer or a small production studio don't have the resources to send that many CNDs. So find the production companies you like, find the performers you like, and just pay the couple of bucks, you know? Yeah, yeah. Quick shout out to Erica Lust. Oh, yes. An incredible porn and sensual film creator. I interviewed recently. And if you're on a budget and you still want to support porn performers and get great content, you can use the code August at eroticfilms.com. It's also on my website, augustmclaughlin.com, to get a limited number of free. And I imagine a lot of the different sites might offer some kind of a deal. And the more people who do pay, right, the mm-hmm. the more they can offer kinds of 
deals. Absolutely. The yeah. more the more people who are paying for it, the more content they can offer and the more engaging it can be. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So before we head off here, could you share something you've learned about your sexuality that maybe we can take away as people who have not been on the porn screen before, something unique to your experience that might be fun for us to apply in our own lives? Um, there is so much. Um, I would say one of the things that I never thought I would like that I'm now super into is electro toys. So um, like the violet wand, um, which is, it's, you know, at Spencer's Gifts, the mm-hmm. little, like the little glass globe with like the purple lightning inside. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are really amazing sex toys, and and neon wands are similar concept, um, and shockers. And I've done a couple of electro sex scenes for Kink.com, and I like it. The only thing I don't like is a cattle prod. But beyond that, like there's so much cool stuff in electro sex that if you do engage in it, you need to really make sure that it is compliant with your body. If like just be safe, please. But that was something that I thought was so much fun and so erotic and so like just. It's a fun tease. So you get like a it's not, is it painful? It's not really painful. It can be if you really, if you use a device that is really strong and powerful, but it's not really painful. It's just like, it's like a, the same way that a flogger can be painful, but mostly it's just sort of electrifying and and exhilarating. So Um, ease in. Ease into it. Uh, But yeah, I love it. Fun. Well, remind people where they can learn more about you, connect with you, and also, uh, support this wonderful company you started. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at E-L-A darling. Um, check out cam4.com slash VR. That's C-A-M and the numeral four. Um, and yeah, just uh, please check it out. Try virtual reality. It's super fun. Also, if you're hesitant to invest in a VR headset, there are a couple coming out in the next quarter or so. Um, Oculus has one that they're putting out. It's $200. It's all entirely self-contained. You don't need a phone. You don't need a separate computer. Just $200 and you can experience amazing VR. It's coming out, I think, in the next few months. So the time is now. Awesome. So exciting. Thank you for exploring this new terrain with, well, new to me, (laughs) terrain. It's super exciting and I really admire and respect your work a lot. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. And if you're enjoying Girl Bunner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Bunner Embracing Week.